Hi, I'm Joaquin Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. I pray that Jesus ministers to you through today's message and that you are blessed deeply. If you're encouraged, please like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our weekly sermons. Enjoy the message. Woo, I'm excited. I'm not even I'm not even going to ask you if you're excited. I'm excited enough for all of us, so you can either join me or not, but that's fine. I'm going. Um, yeah, I've really been anticipating this weekend. Um, how many of you were here uh, last month? Or actually, it was a little while ago, um, back in April, when my brother-in-law, Matthew Rudolph, came and led a Passover Seder for us. Were any of you at that Seder? Okay, it was an amazing time, right? He, he ministered that whole weekend. I hope you were here. Um, if you have not picked up on this before, maybe you already know this, or maybe that was like a fresh revelation in that time if you caught it. But from the time of Passover, you count 50 days or seven weeks from Passover to Pentecost. And in Jewish tradition, there's actually, they call it the counting of the Omer. And they, every day you're counting and you count down from, from that, the Feast of First Fruits right after Passover. You count from that all the way to, to Shavuot. It's actually the Feast of Weeks is what it's called in the Bible. And in Hebrew, Shavuot, seven or, or weeks. It's the Feast of Weeks where you're actually counting down in anticipation to the harvest that my wife Kess was referring to earlier. Pentecost is a significant season. We know, I'm going to get into this more, but it's when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples, right? There's a promise to lay hold of at this time of year. So every year being part of a messianic ministry and, and my wife being Jewish and us uh, observing the, the feasts of the Lord and, and knowing these things, every year we've, we've watched from, from Passover to Pentecost and we've counted 50 days. But I have to tell you, this year, there was something fresh in me. There was this like fresh excitement or anticipation. Like the core team knows I brought it up multiple times in like our prayer times. I'm telling them, I'm like, guys, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like there's something. There's this, there's this pressure. There's this anticipation. There's this expectancy building in this season. I, and it was like, I could just feel like the pressure cooker, something building. I was like, something's going to be released during this Pentecost. And I was stirred and I was counting down like never before. Like I've done this every year for, I don't know, the past 17 years, 16 years, 17 years. But there was a fresh expectancy. And you know what? I never do this. I actually asked to preach today. I never, I ne I never do that. It's like they'll put me on the schedule sometimes. <laughs> Oh, we'll, we'll throw them in there. But there was such an expectancy. There was such this hunger inside of me of, I know there's something not just for me, but for us corporately to lay hold of. I want to be part of that. I want to put my hand to the plow. I want to stir our faith. I want to be part of seeing a promise released over our house that I actually asked to preach today. And then right after that, all the wheels started to fall off. 
I was so fired up. I was so full of faith. I was stirred. I was expecting. I was like, oh, babe, this is going to be an amazing season. Something's coming. Oh, God, you're so good. I can't wait. Can I preach? Yeah, sure. We'll rearrange the schedule. You're up. What am I going to say? I can't, I can't get up there. The devil started to lie to me. I started to come. I mean, listen, let's just be real. I was fine. I was facing some opposition. It was just normal life. You know, I'm looking at our mortgage payment. I'm raising four kids with my wife. And we're like, you know, going through teenage years, all these things. This is just real life, right? I mean, parents know And it's like, it wasn't different than any other time of year, but for some reason, it was like all those little foxes, all the little things that we face on a day-to-day normally were just like getting at me. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, normally I'm able just to like step out from under this stuff. Normally I'm able to stir myself, stir my faith. I get into the word, I pray, you know, I shake it off. I do all of these things. But this time it was just like getting me. I was like in a funk for like almost two weeks. You can ask my wife. She'll verify. Like, yep. (laughs) And then, you know, I started to talk to other people. And there was a lot of people going through stuff. Now, hear me in this. This is not where we're going to end. And I'm not glorifying trials. But I want to address this because there's something on the other side of it. I was talking to a whole lot of people. We had friends, you know, that are like, asking us to pray with them because they're concerned about, you know, on the verge of filing bankruptcy or losing a business. You know, I have friends that their business is going well and, you know, being blessed and prospering, but something in their family or personal life is blowing up. It's like, it's just like so many people were getting hit with their finances, getting hit with family, getting hit with in relationship, getting hit in different areas, but there were like significant things. And it was like, These are all people of faith. These are all people that know the Lord. But it's like, man, I'm looking around. I was like, what is going on? But you know what? Sometimes when there's resistance, it's because there's a big payoff. Now, I don't believe and subscribe to we always have to go through a fight or there always has to be resistance, you know, in order to see God's blessings released. He's bigger than the devil. It's not even any comparison. But just sometimes we poke the devil where it hurts. Sometimes we, we, we poke that hornet's nest and stir some things up. And I think we've been stirring some things up. Anybody in here feel like some things have been stirred up in your life in the last month or so? I got good news for you. You're in good company. So now we're going to leave that behind. And I want to talk about this season of Shavuot, of Pentecost, and and some of the traditional things that tie into this. Looking back through scripture, there's, there's a few things that happened in the season. There's a lot that's happened during the season. But in Jewish tradition and custom, you know, the context of the Bible, there's things that would have been looked at for this season, this time of year. And when the Lord instituted his feast, you can look at it in Leviticus 23, and he's talking about these are the feasts of the Lord. He, he institutes Passover, and I was explaining that. And then he's like, you'll count the weeks. You'll count the days from then to, to Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, and it's a time of harvest. But guess what? Stuff was already happening. 
Do you know that when God met Moses on Mount Sinai and poured out uh, and came down in fire and gave them the law that that was in the season, it may not have been the exact day, but that was in the season of Pentecost and the time of Shavuot. Every, every year, like even, even in Jewish custom, they'll refer to this season as Matan Torah or the giving of the law. Every year in the synagogue, they'll read the book of Ruth because that actually took place during this time, during the harvest. We're going to look at this a little bit, right? But there's these things that have happened. And we all know, obviously, if we're believers in Jesus about the disciples in the upper room and the Holy Spirit being poured out, right? So these are all things that have happened at this time of year. Do I believe God can move anytime, any day? Absolutely. Do I think he, we only have access or he's only going to move in, in a certain way at a certain time of year? No. He can move anytime, any day. He can do whatever he wants because he's God. But I do believe in appointed times. We've been married 16 years, going on 17 years. I see my wife every day. We're available to each other. But our anniversary is different. Date night is different. When we make time to like, hey, let's get away, that's different, isn't it? When we are intentional to say, hey, as much as we love our kids, mom, dad, would you mind watching them for a couple of days? We're going to get away. We're going to invest in each other. It's a special time. It's set apart. Do you know another word for set apart? Holy. There's these appointed times that God has that he so loved his people. He's like, listen, listen, I'm available every day. You can call on me. You can come boldly before the throne of grace. I'm available. I'm living inside of you. My spirit is there, but I don't want it to get mundane. I don't want it to be routine. I want to set special days aside intentionally that are going to be set apart for us to connect in a special way. And we can see it throughout scripture, all these different feasts, all these different things, these appointed times. You can link all these different stories throughout scripture that happened at this time. So I do want to encourage you, as much as he's available every day, there's something special today. There's something set apart today. There's something that God has been looking forward to in anticipation and excitement for this season right now that I believe we can choose to enter into. So I, I, I talked a little bit about those, those three events, right? Moses on, on Mount Sinai, the Ruth, and then the disciples in the upper room, right? I want to look a little bit about some of the backstory there. Forgive me, I'm not going to pull out all the verses and, and look at all that. I'm just going to give you my version, quick summary, kind of run through some of those things. And I'll probably miss a few things, okay? Have grace, but I want to do this for the sake of time. Let's start with Moses. He's a pretty big deal, right? Everybody know who Moses is? He hasn't been around a while, yet we all know who he is. Let's look at his life. He was born during a time where Pharaoh commanded for all the children of his race to be murdered. His own mother, well-meaning, but cast him into a river. 
He was orphaned by his parents. He was found by Pharaoh's daughter. She actually gave, her, gave him back to be nursed by the mother. So he went from being a child in his mother's house into the river, being found, being back to his mother's house. And then when he was old enough, given back to Pharaoh's daughter. You think he might've had some attachment issues? <laughs> You think he might have had a little bit of background or, or baggage to work through? So then he's raised in Pharaoh's house. We know the story, right? And, and so obviously he knows who he is. He knows what's going on. He was in his mom's house, you know, they, they estimate until he was around two years old. And then one day he sees, we know these stories. I'm just, you know, for the sake of, of memory lane here, we're going to walk through these a little bit. He sees uh, one of his brethren, a Hebrew, being mistreated, being beaten by an Egyptian slave driver. And he looks around, doesn't see anybody, and he goes out and he kills the Egyptian and hides his body in the sand. He thought he did a good deed. Then later he sees some of his brothers fighting and he goes in to break up the fight and his brother accuses him. It's like, who are you? Who made you judge and prince over us? Now he's lived this life of privilege in the palace and he's trying to help his people, right? He killed a guy. I mean, that's where his, his fervor for his people was, his love for his people that he's willing to kill somebody to try and save one of his brethren. And then he tries to break up a fight and he's accused by one of his own. Who made you prince and judge over us? Are you gonna kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And then Pharaoh hears about it and is seeking to kill him. So he was cast out of his, his own house, back and forth a couple times, raised in the palace. Now his adoptive grandfather wants to kill him. And he flees into the wilderness. Wow. Moses. He flees into the wilderness. He finds a well, gets fight, in a fight with some shepherds at a well to help these young ladies. We know this story, right? Ends up getting married and becomes a shepherd. He's tending sheep in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, one day, there's a burning bush on a mountain. Do you know what mountain that was? Horeb. It's the same as Mount Sinai. And he sees a burning bush. He went through all this stuff in the past, right? This one simple moment. He saw the bush and turned aside. And in Exodus 3, it says, when God saw that he turned aside, he spoke to him. He encountered God in fire on Mount Sinai. Remember that. God gives him a little project, just a small task. Hey, by the way, I want you to do a little something for me. We know the story. He sends him back to face down Pharaoh, right, and free his people. He's going in and out, all these different plagues. I mean, facing Pharaoh's sorcerers and, and all this stuff. And he's calling out all these plagues and seeing God pass his judgment on Egypt. I mean, I can't even imagine just that portion of his life. Like, seriously? Did you not see the river? It's blood. I mean, flies, gnats. I mean, come on. Like, you're not getting any of this? You think Moses faced a little bit of opposition? I mean, could you say at this point in his life, he has faced some opposition? <laughs> then we know, finally, they, they get out there. They leave Egypt you know, the parting of the Red Sea, all of these things. And then again, same mountain, same call. He goes up and meets again with God and fire 
on the mountaintop. That would have been during this season. We know they left at Passover and it says that at the time of the, the third new moon after, after they had left, so it would have been the third month, Passover is the 15th month uh, of the, sorry, 15th day of the first month. So, you know, it's like, you can do the math. It's right around that, that season of when they're, they're approaching the mountain. It's right around this season. All right, that's Moses. We know his story goes on, but we're gonna stop there for Moses. Oh man, Ruth, I could just, I gotta, I'm telling you right now, I gotta put on the blinders. Too many rabbit trails I could take here that I'm gonna try not to, right? I won't even get into why the, in the, in the Jewish synagogues, every year during this time, they read the book of Ruth. And there's a lot of speculation and I really wanna unpack this, but that'll be another time. But we're just gonna touch this for a little bit. Imagine this story. It starts with Naomi, Right? She gets married, she has two sons, there's a, a famine in the land, so they, they go out and they're, they're in search of food and they're in Moab and, and her sons grow up and they take wives and they get married and then her husband dies. And then both her sons die. Now at that time in that culture, that meant she didn't have anything. She had no protector. She had no provision. She had no rights, basically. So we know the story. Naomi goes back to her people, goes back to Bethlehem, and is telling her daughter-in-laws, leave me. I have nothing left to offer you. Like in the story, she actually talks about, even if I were to get married and be able to bear children again and have more sons, would you wait for them to grow up, to marry them? Like that was the, that was the custom and culture at the time. That, that would have been her only hope would to be get married again and her daughter-in-law's only hope of redemption would have been for her to have another son so that customly, customarily they would marry the, the brother. If the wife of one son dies, or sorry, the son dies, that wife marries the next son, right? That would have been the only hope. So we know the story, right? One daughter leaves, but Ruth says, no, I won't leave. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God and your people shall be my people. And she she bound herself to Naomi and stuck by her side. Well, so they returned to Bethlehem at the time of harvest. It would have been right around the time from Passover to Shavuot. And what did Ruth do? She said, I'm going to go out. She knew the custom that when, during harvest time that they were commanded to leave the edges of the field, right, for, for the widows or the poor, that they could come and take what the leftovers, basically, and, and live off of that. So she says, I'm going to go into the field and I'm going to gather the leftovers to make provision for us. So now imagine this. You're in Naomi's, sorry, you're in Ruth's position. You have absolutely no hope of any kind of redemption, but you've, decided to live out your life with your mother-in-law, you're gathering scraps to try to provide for you and her. Like in our culture right now in Western world, that would be like living on the streets, eating out of the trash can. She, but it's harvest time. 
And she goes out and she's gathering. And she notices somebody, Boaz. He's a near kinsman. Every day she's out in the field gathering. And then she talks to Naomi. Oh yeah, he's your near kinsman. What do you think's happening all of those days as she's gathering in the field? Hope is starting to stir. A plan is starting to stir. A promise is starting to be birthed. A path to redemption is starting to become clear to, to Ruth. We know the end of the story. She ends up marrying Boaz, the kinsman, redeemer. Guys, this is a picture of Jesus himself where she had no hope, no plan for redemption. There was nothing in herself that she could do. Her, her family could not provide anything for her. She had no other choice, but I'm going to throw myself at the mercy of these people and live off the scraps. But when she stepped into that season of harvest and started to gather and just put her hand out to reach out to the field, hope started to build in her. Ruth, through that act and joining herself to Naomi and faithfully going out to that field every day, how many days do you think she did not feel like getting up and going out? How many days do you think she questioned, did I make the right choice? I should go back to Moab. But every day she was out in the field gathering. She is in the lineage of Jesus her son gave birth. I'm oh, sorry, she gave birth. Her son became the fought, like the grandfather, great-grandfather of King David. She's in the lineage of Jesus. Okay, let's look at the disciples. You know, you, you're, you're, a good, you're a good Jewish boy, girl, You've been raised with the prophecies and you know we're believing for a Messiah. We're living in a Roman-occupied country and, and, and we're oppressed by the Romans and we're believing that a Messiah, a king, a conquering king is going to come and deliver us and establish a kingdom and restore the glory to Israel and we're going to live out all our days in peace and joy and we're just waiting one day for that king to come. Right? Imagine with me. Like I said, I'm excited enough for all of us. I'm going there. I can see it in my head. I got a great imagination. You should join me. Hop in. Jesus comes. It's like, follow me. They start to realize this is the Messiah. They're following the Messiah, the promised one for thousands of years that all of their people from generation to generation to generation to generation have been talking about. Moses actually prophesied. Of him, a prophet like me will come. He, he actually prophesied of him thousands of years before. The scripture is full of prophecies of Jesus coming. Actually, the, the encounter with Moses in the burning bush, the encounter with fire on Mount Sinai, both times was actually a Christophany. That was actually the appearance of Jesus before he took on flesh. Now he's here in the flesh. They're living with him. They're walking with him. They're eating with him every day. 
They're seeing miracles, signs and wonders. They're seeing blind eyes open. They're seeing uh, paralytics get healed. They're seeing lepers get cleansed. They're like, oh my God, it's happening. Can you believe it? Like right now, like it's happening right now. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when, when the Lord returns? That generation, when, when we see the sky roll back like a scroll. It's happening. It's been prophesied for thousands of years and it's finally come. It's happening right now. That's what they were experiencing. And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh, by the way, guys, um, I'm going to suffer a little bit. I'm actually going to die. Wait, hold up. What? They celebrate Passover. They go into a garden to pray. And he gets taken captive. He's beaten and crucified. Some of them didn't get it. Could you imagine all the anticipation, all the excitement, all the buildup, all the promise? And you're like, yeah, we're on the verge of breakthrough. It's here. And then he died. But don't worry, he was raised up three days later. He walked with them 40 days. He ministered. They saw, oh, okay, okay. You had us there for a second, Jesus. We got a little bit nervous. (laughs) That was close. You got us. That was a good one. But now you're here. Thank God. Acts, the book of Acts comes around. Okay, now that you're here, are you going to restore the kingdom? Now that we got all this other stuff out of the way, right? Is this the time? Now now is this like the big moment? Jesus' response to them is, it's not for you to know the time. And then doesn't really answer the question. He says, but go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the promise of the Father. And then it sends into heaven. I, I've tried. I've stood on the Mount of Olives multiple times. I've, I lived in the Jerusalem area. I've done the tour. I've taken people. I've been out there with my Bible and praying. And I've travailed. I've weeped. I've had encounters. And I've tried to imagine what it must have been like for the disciples to be there, to have gone through all those ups and downs, all those roller coasters, the thousands of years of pro- prophecy that they were seeing fulfilled in their lifetime. And to be standing there when they're like, right now, is this it? Is the kingdom coming at this moment and he's like you won't really know but go over there and wait for a little bit something good is coming what but we know what happened they went to the upper room they waited they prayed the Holy Spirit was poured out on them in power right there was a suddenly in that moment Afterwards, they go out filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and they preach. Peter preaches. What happens when he preaches? What's the response? How many people got saved? Say it like it's exciting. 
Say it like it's significant. How many, I don't even know how many people do we have in this room right now. What would you do if we walked outside the doors? We just left our church service and all of a sudden a crowd of people is gathered outside and we're just like, um, this is that what the prophet spoke of? Like, and we just start trying to explain it and we all look like we're a bunch of drunks and like falling all over ourselves and we're all talking in different languages and we're like, guys, this doesn't even make any sense. And 3,000 people get saved. That would definitely be by far the best church service I've ever been a part of. I don't know about you. My, my point in all this is, guys, there were some ups and downs. None of them had like the easy street. There's no shortcuts. There are some ups and downs there. But every single one of these people knowingly or unknowingly attach themselves to a promise of God. Every single person aligned, they made a choice, even if they didn't even fully understand what they were doing, to align themselves with the promises of God. Even if they didn't know and understand the season that was right there that they were stepping into, they stepped into a suddenly with a heart aligned to the promises of God and God moved. He came down on fire on a mountain and established a covenant. He met a widow in a field and redeemed generations and opened up the genealogy to Christ himself. He met 120 people hungry in an upper room and poured out the Holy Spirit that actually sealed the new covenant. Do we understand the new covenant was cut, it was bought, it was paid for with the blood and, and death and crucifixion of Jesus, but it was sealed by the Holy Spirit. It was fulfilled with the Holy Spirit. As Gentile believers, we actually got grafted in. The sign that we were part of the tribe, that we were part of the commonwealth was when the Holy Spirit came on us. The Holy Spirit is the promise. Oh, now you're with me. See, you start talking to the Holy Spirit and everybody's there, right? It's like, I thought this was a history lesson. What's going on? What we don't realize maybe is that when they ask, are you going to establish the kingdom of Israel at this time? Jesus did answer the question. Because the Holy Spirit is the establishment of the kingdom of heaven. Jeremiah 31, 31. Okay, buckle your seatbelts and I'm going to read fast. I know my wife says I talk fast sometimes when I'm excited, but I got like 12 minutes. So like I said, I'm just going, you got to keep up. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
Sound familiar? A widow? Mm. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Joel 2, 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. A few other verses that tie into that. Isaiah thirty-two fifteen. Until the spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Ezekiel 39, 29. And I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord. Numbers 14, 21. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Actually, I'm not even gonna get into those. Just bookmark. If you go back to scriptures that I was reading in Isaiah and Ezekiel, all of these things in context, it was actually when the, either they were in dispersion or the house of Israel was in ruin and God was prophesying of the kingdom being restored to Israel. And in the prophecy of the kingdom being restored, the promise was, you'll know it when I pour out my spirit. So when the disciples were saying, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? He answered the question. Go wait. Keep counting. We're only at day 40. Go to the upper room. Remember the promise. Remember the scripture. Remember who you've aligned yourself with. Remember the hope. Remember the lineage. Remember the prophecies. Remember the word. Go and keep counting. Go and keep your eyes on the promise. Because when the Holy Spirit is poured out, you will know that the kingdom is being restored in your midst. Do you know, guys, that it wasn't a one-time event? There's no tap. He didn't turn it on and turn it off. Don't believe me? Read Acts 4. He comes again. The place where they're meeting is shaken. Ephesians 3. Being filled with the fullness of God. The being. A continual, a constant. So what then determines if we're filled when do, when, when do we stop? Only if we put a cap on. That means right now, the Holy Spirit is still being poured out. We have not seen the fulfillment of all these promises yet. We've seen foreshadowings and we've seen tastes and touches, but there's still more to come. I started this one, Numbers 14. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Any, anybody in here need a promise? Anybody in here need a prophetic word? Yeah. 
Anybody in here need direction or vision? Listen, we know that in, in uh, Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there's no prophetic vision, the people will cast off restraint. And in the King James, it says the people will perish. We're, we are wired to have purpose, to have vision, to have direction. We need direction. Ben preached an awesome message last night. I loved it. He said, the kingdom of God has one direction from glory to glory. See, we're sitting in the middle of glory and we don't even realize it. There's all these people that paved a way and went through all these hardships and pressed into a promise to unlock something. There was a widow in a field who would not give up, who kept going out every day, gathering that harvest to lay hold and open up a lineage to birth the Messiah, that we could enjoy his redemption in our day. There's a group of fishermen, the most common of the, of the common. The, the, like, it's so bad that when Peter denied Jesus, she said, surely you're one of them because your speech gives you away. He had an accent. I can tell by the way you talk that you're one of them. But we're sitting in the middle of it. And we need to realize it. We need to realize that it is still being poured out. And we get to determine how much of the kingdom is established by how much of the Holy Spirit we let flow through us and into us and out of us. You may have a prophetic word that somebody spoke to you. You may have a prophetic word that God spoke to you directly. And maybe you're like, I need a prophetic word. Guess what? I got a whole bunch of them for you. Habakkuk 2 says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. An appointed time. A set apart time. A feast of the Lord where he's saying, Hey, come close. Hey, I'm showing up in fire. Come check it out. Anybody that's interested, anybody that turns aside, anybody whose heart turns to the burning, to the fire, when the present shows up, he's promising he's going to speak. He's going to step out and meet. Psalm 72, 19, and blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. First John 3 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father's bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. 
And like Ben already touched last night, 2 Corinthians 3.18, which I refer to, but we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. That's the promise. That's what's available to us. I have not seen the whole earth filled yet. Have you? I'm hungry for it. Anybody else hungry? Worship team, can I have you guys come? These guys are amazing. So I want to encourage you. Maybe you face some opposition. Maybe there's been some ups and downs. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Anybody hungry for the revealing of his glory? Anybody hungry for a fresh outpouring? Anybody believing for a promise of God right now? I want you to stand up. Guys, today is a day of breakthrough. I know that can be real Christianese. We can say that flippantly. Oh, today's a day of breakthrough. But I just used thousands of years of recorded history and documentation to back up that claim. <laughs> Argue if you want. Disbelieve if you want. That's your choice. But I'm choosing to align myself to a promise. I'm choosing to align myself to a word. I'm choosing to believe that there's a new level of God's glory to be released in us at this time. Why? I don't know. For 17 years, I've celebrated this, but in this year, I feel a new anticipation and an expectation. I see a fire on a bush and I'm going to turn towards it. I'm not going to turn away. I'm not going to get stuck in the mundane of caring for the sheep and just like, oh, but I got stuff to do. I got bills to pay, but I can't make time. I can't. There's just excuse, excuse, excuse. No, there's a burning and I'm going to turn aside. Who's coming with me? If you want to step in to this time, I want to encourage you. Just come forward. Get out of your seat. Just a prophetic act. Shift where you are. This is your turning aside. This is you stepping into that field saying, I'm going to lay hold of that harvest. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.